Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Hopefully, I uh, know how to modulate my voice here with the mic on, and I'm not overbearing. Does everyone have a uh, outline? Everyone should have an outline. Find that. And let's go ahead and read the title all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, that was a little weak. A little weak. Seemed like about half of you were still finding your paper. Let's read it one more time. Ready, set, go. The angel of Jehovah. Okay, we're continuing our journey through Exodus, and I want to catch us up to speed and review a little bit where we've been in the book. The book of Exodus is a dynamic book. It's one of the most dynamic books in the Old Testament. A lot of people know the early stories in the book of Exodus, but a lot of people's understanding and knowledge of the book of Exodus drops off as soon as God's people get out of Egypt. And that's where all the movies end. All the movies end with God's people getting out of Egypt. And that is only half of the book of Exodus. So what we've been camping out on this semester is what happens after God's people get out of Egypt. Spiritually speaking, typologically speaking, how that applies to us is what happens to a believer in the people of God after they are saved by God from God's judgment. There is a lot more that happens. So if your concept is God has saved me, Praise God, I'm thankful, I'm eternally debted. You are, but what are you doing now for the rest of your life? I got saved when I was seven years old. I mean, praise God, but what am I doing now? What am I doing now? Do I have an ongoing history with God? And so Exodus shows us the formative story of God with his people, calling a people out of Egypt, and, you know, I love, the, I love the metaphors that Moses uses in writing. He led his people out with, an, with uh, uh, what is it, uplifted arm, outstretched arm. Pretty awesome metaphors there and making his power known through Pharaoh. But where we've been uh, this semester is we've really been at Mount Sinai. And the main thing that's been happening at Mount Sinai is God has been opening his heart to his people. It's one thing to be saved. It's another to know what's on God's heart. And hopefully this semester you'll have gotten a glimpse, just a glimpse, every Thursday night, what is on God's heart. And this is the paradigm shift that every believer needs to make in their life, uh, specifically when we come to the book of Exodus. And that is, God's salvation benefits me, but ultimately God's salvation benefits him. God's salvation ultimately benefits him. So actually the gospel is ultimately... Good news for God. Did you know that? The gospel is actually good news for God. God benefits in the gospel. God gets good news out of the gospel. That is because God's purpose is fulfilled through the gospel. And I want to draw your attention. I don't know if you've seen this slider we've had up um, every Thursday night. I don't know if you've noticed the four words at the bottom. Can you all read those in the back? Let's read them all together. Ready, set, go. Salvation. These four words uh, encapsulate the four stages in the book of Exodus, and that's why they're there. And so salvation, that's mainly the first half through chapter 12, getting out of Egypt, mainly the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. And that saved us from the tyranny of Pharaoh, which symbolizes a life of slavery, bondage, in sin, under Satan's usurpation in the world. Bad. Except good when it happens to us and we get released. 
Next stage was provision. And we saw that mainly last semester. God brought his people into the wilderness and fed them manna for 40 years. And he, fed them, and he caused them to drink of the rock, which followed them. And Paul says that rock is Christ. So that's provision. provision. We're eating, we're drinking, we're becoming reconstituted. God is doing a deep intrinsic work in us. Revelation, that's mainly where we've been this semester, at Mount Sinai, chapter 19, really through, um, um, really through chapter 30 or so, I think, God opens up his heart through the law and through the revelation we're going to see next, next week, well, actually not next week, but the week after Thanksgiving, uh, Merrill's going to share about God opening his heart for his desire to have a dwelling place on earth. Exodus 25, 8, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's how Exodus ends, with the building. The people get the revelation, they respond, they build, they offer, and the glory of God comes in Exodus 40 and fills the tabernacle. Now God is dwelling among men. Praise the Lord. Where we are tonight is in the stage on Revelation, and um, I was polling people this week, um, and I'm just going to poll here tonight right now. Who has heard of the angel of Jehovah before? Raise your hand. If you've heard of the angel before, oh, wow. So I don't need to say anything tonight, right? Okay, the angel of Jehovah, to most people, we've got, we've got a great crowd tonight, apparently. Because to most people, the people I pulled this week, they had no idea who the angel of Jehovah was. So what we want to see tonight is four simple words. Uh, you can write this down. We want to see who. We want to see what. We want to see where. And we want to see how. Number one, we want to see who is the angel of Jehovah. This is a striking revelation. Who is the angel of Jehovah? And this is an encouraging revelation. I hope all of you all leave here tonight super encouraged. We want to see, number two, what is the angel of Jehovah doing? What is the angel of Jehovah doing? Number three, we want to see where is the angel of Jehovah leading us? We want to see where is he leading us? And number four, we want to see... Um, how are we going to cooperate with him to take possession of the good land? That sound good? Yeah. Who, what, where, how? Very simple message tonight. Okay, let's go ahead and read this. Um, I, I wanted to put, um, well, first off, if you notice here, I tried to create a visual hierarchy on the page so you could easily track where the verses in Exodus are. So all the verses that are furthest out to the left is Exodus, because I want you to see how this applies to Exodus. We're in the book of Exodus. And so um, to get the story, though, let's read the top. Let's start with brothers, and let's just alternate brothers and sisters, um, every other verse. Y'all see that top paragraph? All right, brothers, ready, set, go. Sisters.
Okay, so this is the background. This is Exodus 23, and it's significant the placement where God reveals the uh, angel of Jehovah. This is right after he reveals uh, the law with all the ordinances. That's chapter 20 through 23. 23 ends with God telling his people about this angel. And this angel is commissioned by God to lead his people into the good land. Into the good land. And we're going to see what this means. And I hope, hopefully y'all are all going to leave here encouraged tonight. Um, okay, let's just, I think we should just dive in. I've got a lot I want to say. I'm trying to think the order. But let's just go on to number one here. This shows us who the angel of Jehovah is. Let's read it all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, the angel of Jehovah is Christ. The angel of Jehovah is Christ. And when we read these verses in a second, we're going to see actually the angel of Jehovah is Jehovah. The angel of Jehovah is Jehovah. It's a mystery. And what we're going to see is the triune God has commissioned himself in Christ with the full responsibility to bringing his people fully into God's purpose. God has taken upon himself the responsibility for the journey. And when you see the, the, uh, the scope and the extent of this commission, it's staggering. And God knows we can't reach God's destination and goal apart from Christ. And then next we're going to see the good land where God is taking us is also Christ. So Christ is leading us into Christ. Christ is everything in God's purpose. Christ is the way in God's purpose. Christ is the very destination in God's purpose. And God has taken upon himself, this is the encouraging news, God has commissioned himself to be responsible for his people's making it. You making it is not up to you. You making it is not up to you. If you see who the angel of Jehovah is, CK, if you see what the commission is, Jason, if you see the destination, you will praise God for the angel of Jehovah. Let's go ahead and say praise God for the angel of Jehovah. Praise God. God has taken it upon himself to bring his people into himself. Okay, let's look at Exodus 3, 2 through 6, brothers. This shows us that the angel of Jehovah is Jehovah. Go for it. Read it. Okay, so a few things are uh, interesting here. It says, first off, the angel of Jehovah appeared to Moses. And then if you follow the dot, 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 it says, he said, this is the angel of Jehovah speaking. He says, I am God. Who is the angel of Jehovah? Who is the angel of Jehovah? God. He's God. The angel of Jehovah appears, and then when he speaks, all of a sudden he identifies himself as the triune God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that's the triune God, the Trinity, represented by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's also interesting here, it says, Jeho the angel of Jehovah appeared, and then the end says, Moses was afraid to look, not at the angel of Jehovah, but at God. So two things here show us that the angel of Jehovah is Jehovah God in his speaking and in, and in his appearance. Okay, now the amazing thing is that God would identify himself 
as an angel. Isn't that crazy? God would take the role of an angel. Okay, let's see what this means. This is Hebrews 1.14. Sisters, how about y'all read this? Ready, set, go. So Paul is asking the question, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we think it's probably Paul, but Paul is asking the question, are not angels spirits sent forth for service? Sent forth for service for the sake of those who are inheriting salvation. So an angel's job is to serve, and angels are serving us continually in God's purpose. We don't see them, we don't recognize their you know, angel service, and we probably shouldn't even think too much about angels, except that, praise God, there's angels who are serving us. But the amazing thing is this verse shows you what the role of an angel is in God's, um, God's purpose. It's service. It's service. That's what angels do. They serve. And so for God to take on the role of the angel of Jehovah means he has put himself in the place of a servant to serve us. The angel of, of Jehovah is Jehovah lowering himself, condescending to our level entering into our needs, identifying with our burdens, causing us to realize he sympathizes with us, he understands us, and he's here to serve us. That is the heart of our God. That is the angel of Jehovah. And you see this angel all throughout the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis 16 to Malachi 3, the first book in the Bible, in the Bible to the last book of the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi, the angel of Jehovah is continuously there assisting God's people, serving God's people, entering into their sufferings, pleading with them, leading them, guiding them, executing the new covenant with them. And then when we get to the New Testament, when we get to the book of Revelation, we find four places where this angel reappears. He reappears in chapter 7, chapter 8, Chapter 10 and chapter 18, 7, 8, 10, 18 in Revelation, this angel of Jehovah is there again administrating God's universal policy. Think about that. The angel of Jehovah, this is Christ himself in the divine trinity showing up again to administrate, to administrate God's purpose. So I hope you all are impressed. God has identified himself as the angel of Jehovah with the full intention of serving God. Jared. Amen. Amen. With the full intention of serving you, serving the people of God. Isn't that staggering? God in his Godhead is God. That's the official title, the official role of God in the universe. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's all the omnis, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And yet, for our sake, in entering into his purpose, he has lowered himself. He is temporarily, in a sense, um, got a new job, in a sense. Of course, he's still God. Of course, he's still sovereign. But simultaneously, he's serving us to bring us fully into his purpose. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Mark 1.45 shows us uh, Christ identifies himself here as the servant, as the sent one. I'll read this to you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the extent of the Lord's service is even unto death. That is how serious the Lord is about serving his people, even unto death. The Lord held nothing back in this role. He served us unto, unto death. Wow. 
What a servant. And this is the Lord's heart. And, you know, we just finished reading the Gospel of Mark, and Mark really shows us this characteristic of Christ, this attribute of Christ, as a serving one, as a serving one. And one thing I really enjoyed, uh, I think it's in Mark 10 right here, the Lord asked the question, he comes to the disciples, actually the disciples' mother come to Jesus, I don't know if you all remember this, and he asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? Do you all remember that? Of course, they asked to uh, sit on the right and left in the kingdom, and uh, the Lord says, well, that's not my prerogative to, to uh, decide. That's for the Father to decide. And then he comes in the very next section to this blind beggar, and you know what he asked Annette? The same question. What do you want me to do for you? This is the heart of a servant to ask us, Colleen, the Lord's asking tonight, what do you want me to do for you? And so if we realize this, our prayers will have a shift and we will recognize the Lord is here to serve us. So we should pray. I was praying when we, when we were reading this in the section of Mark, I was praying, Lord, I want you to transform me. And you know what the Lord's going to say to that? Okay. Okay. I said, Lord, I want you to, I want you to make me an overcomer. You know what the Lord's going to say? Okay, I'll take up the commission. I said, Lord, I want you to build me up with the brothers. Jason, amen. Yes. Yes. So the Lord is asking this question tonight. What do you want me to do for you? So we need to recognize the Lord is in this status as a serving one, and we should open up our knees and say, Lord, bring me fully into your economy. That's what I want you to do for me. Amen. Okay, let's go on to number two here. Um, Number two, uh, let's read this all together. Ready, set, go. The work of the angel of Jehovah Okay, so this is um, question two and three we're beginning to enter into, the what and the where. What is this angel doing in his service? What work is he carrying out in his service? And where is he taking us? Where is he guiding us? Where is he leading us? Okay, and um, if you recall in the story here, it says, I'm sending my angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place. That place is the good land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so let's go ahead and read Exodus 3, 7, and 8 together. Those verses ready, set, go. And Jehovah said, Okay, so this verse shows us the, um, <clears throat> the destination. The Lord is bringing us to the good and spacious land. And now what we need to see is, what does this good land, the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan, the promised land, what does that typify? What does that typify? And Paul gives us some amazing help, as he always does in the book of uh, Colossians here. So um, now I've got some words, I've got some Greek words in parentheses. So when we read these verses, don't try and pronounce the Greek words. Leave that to me. So just leave that out. But let's go ahead and read Colossians 1.12. Ready, set, go. Giving thanks to the Father. Okay, then um, let's go ahead and read Numbers 26.55. Ready, set, go. 
Okay, the good land typifies Christ. The good land typifies the all-inclusive Christ. Everything we need is in Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, everything they needed, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 8, everything they needed was in the land. Was in the land. And I highlighted these Greek words to show you what is behind Paul's concept in using these terminologies. Some translations in Colossians 1.12 say, the Father has qualified us for a share of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And that's not a bad translation as long as you know what the inheritance is. Uh, because the inheritance is not treasures in heaven. It's not a mansion in heaven. It's not kind of spiritual blessings in heaven. That's not the inheritance. This is a technical term that Paul is referencing that was continuously used throughout the Old Testament in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation, so it's the same language. This word kleros, kleros, is the technical term for the allotment of land. It's a technical term. It's not just like an inheritance like I'm going to inherit, uh, inherit money or I'm going to inherit a, you know, Rolls Royce or I'm going to inherit a couple you know, houses. No, you're going to inherit land. And so when the children of Israel came into the good land, they all had an inheritance. And that inheritance was a specific portion of land. Is everyone following me? What is the inheritance? The land. The The inheritance is a piece of land, and it's an allotted portion. So each tribe, if you look at a map, and some Bibles have these maps in the back, and they'll show you which portion Judah had, which portion Dan had, which portion Issachar had, which portion Zebulun had. And it just, it just shows you they all had their allotment. That's the word kleros. And you see it right there in Numbers 26.55. The land shall be apportioned by kleros, by lot. It's an allotted portion. And so in Colossians 1.12, the point Paul is making is not just that God has given us an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, something in heaven, God has given us Christ. God has given us a plot of Christ. God has given you an allotment of Christ. And in that Christ is everything you need. And God's purpose is to bring you into the portion of Christ that he has allotted you. God's portion is to bring you deeper into the enjoyment of your allotment in Christ. Can we say amen to that? CK, is that good news? CK, bro, God has given you a portion of Christ. Now the question is, who is going to bring us into the enjoyment of that portion of Christ? It's Christ. Christ has commissioned himself to make sure you enjoy the portion of Christ that he has allotted you. I don't know how else to say it. It's amazing to me, though. It's amazing to me. And then you see the word meris there, merizo. That's the share, that's the apportion. Okay, then in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul gives us another proof that the good land is a picture of Christ. The good land is a picture of Christ. Colossians 2, 6 says, As therefore you have received the Christ, Jesus the Lord, believe in him. No. As therefore you've received the Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in him. What does that mean? What does that mean, Ty? Take the land. Yes, amen. (laughs) That means Christ is a realm. Christ is a realm. He's a geography. He's a a space. He is, you know, I don't know how to to say it. He's a realm that we can actually live in. We can move in. We can exist in. We can walk in. We can walk in Austin because it's a geographical space. 
Christ also is a location that God wants to put us into, and he wants us to live in, walk in, exist in, conduct yourself in, always be in, and find in that Christ everything you need for life. Just like when the children of Israel came into the good land, they got their minerals out of the good land, they got their food out of the good land. Where do you think this shirt came from? The land. This shirt is cotton. Cotton came from the land. Where do you think the pizza came from? The land and probably some non-land places too. <clears throat> some inorganic or whatever, you know, man-made things. Everything we need comes from the land. Where does this wood come from? For uh, this beautiful building, Sanchez. Right. From the land. Where does, where does all the limestone, you know, I don't know if you've noticed the beautiful limestone all over campus with the shells and the fossils in it. Where'd that come from? The land. Where did you come from? You were made out of the dust of the ground. Everything we need for our living, for our existence, for our sustenance is in the land. This is a picture God is trying to show us. Everything you need for the Christian life is in Christ. In Christ alone. Amen? Amen. So, Colossians 2.6, Paul shows us that Christ is a, a realm we can walk in. And Deuteronomy 11.24 is the Old Testament parallel. I love this verse. I love this verse. Let's read it all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, how do you possess Christ? You walk in Christ. Whatever aspect of Christ you walk in is yours. Isn't that awesome? Do you want Christ? Do you want more Christ? What do you need to do? You need to start moving. You need to move around. You need to experience the riches of Christ. And wherever you walk in Christ, God says, I'm going to give it to you. So the way we enjoy Christ and possess Christ is by walking in Christ. Okay, this is going to, hopefully this, hopefully this is making sense. Hopefully y'all are uh, following this. But we're going um, to see how this applies uh, specifically in our cooperation in the last section. Okay, Philippians 3, uh, 13 and 14, let's read this all together. Ready, set, go. I do not account of myself to have laid hold... Okay, so this is why we song, uh, sang song one tonight. Um, Paul here is saying, I do not account of myself to have laid hold. Paul was probably converted, most people think, between 33 and 36 A.D., right after the Lord was crucified. First, he was a persecutor of the church, a saint killer. That's how he said it. And then the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he had a vanquishing conversion. His life was changed in an instant. There's just the before and there's the after, like a car wreck. Boom, everything's different. Christ captured Paul. So clearly, in whatever the date was, 33, 36, we're not totally sure, when Paul was converted, didn't he gain Christ? Didn't he lay hold of Christ? Yeah, Christ came into him, certainly. So Philippians 3 is about 26 years later. 26 years later. And he's saying, brothers, I do not account of myself to have laid hold. That's Paul, 26. You guys aren't even 26 years old. And Paul's been a Christian for 26 years. And he's saying there's so much Christ out there. 
There's so much Christ out there that's available that I need to walk in, that I need to move around in, that I need to possess, that I need to gain. I haven't laid hold of it. So the only thing I'm doing in life, I can sum it up in one thing that I'm doing. If it's behind, I'm forgetting it. If it's behind, I'm forgetting it. And if it's ahead, I'm stretching forward to gain Christ. So this is encouraging because we too often live in the past. We either live in our past failures. It's easy to do. You had a bad semester. You had a bad weekend. You, you sinned. You uh, fell. And you get held back by what's behind. But if it's behind, Paul says, forget it. Forget about it. This is a releasing word. But also, equally dangerous, is living in our past successes, our past accomplishments. Oh, man, last summer we saved 130 people, and we're just kind of kicking back and living in the past. Or, yeah, last year I read the Bible. Or last year I had great home meetings. Or last year I was in a great Bible study. We We live in the past, and we let our past experiences of Christ hinder us from the present experience of Christ. So Paul says, if it's behind, what should you do? What should you do if it's behind? What should you do if it's behind? You need this word drilled into you. Because when you have a failure, Satan will lie to you, he will tempt you, he will condemn you, he will accuse you nonstop, and make you attached to that past failure. So we should take this word at face value. Lord, if it's behind, I forget it. And I'm stretching forward to gain Christ. Okay, so now let's uh, look at... um, Exodus 23, 20, to me, this is a very encouraging part of the outline. Uh, We've already read this verse. I'll read it one more time. I'm now sending an angel before you to keep you in the way. Underline that, to keep you. This is what the angel is doing. He's keeping us in the way. That means in the journey. He's guarding us. And to bring you into the place, underline that, to bring you, to keep you and to bring you. This is what the angel of Jehovah is doing and is serving us. He's keeping us. Probably, since you guys are pretty young, y'all aren't that conscious of how much y'all need to be kept. You think, hey, being a Christian is just enjoying Christ. Nothing, nothing hard about it. Going to the meetings, it's not hard. You know, confessing my sins, it's not too bad. You know, even my problems aren't that bad. So you may not have that much consciousness of how much you need to be kept by God. But as you grow older you start realizing, wow, I very much need the Lord to keep me. If the Lord doesn't keep me, I can't make it. I want to read to you a little quote here. This is from Commentary on Song of Songs by Watchman Nee. So context is Song of Songs, but it applies here to the Lord's preserving power. When we recall our original condition, we cannot, be, we cannot help but be filled with humility. We cannot help but consider our emptiness, the vanity of our experience the undependability of our mind, the futility of our pursuit. Our only hope is the Lord. We realize that whether we can endure to the end does not depend on our own endurance, but on the Lord's preservation. No spiritual perfection can sustain a person until the Lord's return. Everything depends on God and his preserving power. When we realize this, we cannot help but explain, Lord, set me as a seal upon your heart. Set me as a seal upon your arm. Your heart is the place of love while your arm is the place of strength. Lord, 
I know that I am weak and empty. I am conscious of my powerlessness. Lord, I am a helpless person. If I try to preserve myself unto your coming, it will only bring shame to your name and loss to myself. All my hopes are in your love and power. All our hopes is in his love and his power. So that realization will cause us to appreciate the service of the angel of Jehovah keeping us in the way. The reason we're still running the Christian life is because somebody is serving us 24-7 called the angel of Jehovah. Amen. Okay, let's look at these two verses, super encouraging, sisters on Jude and brothers on Hebrews. Ready, set, go, sisters. Amen. He's able to guard you from stumbling. Amen. Okay, brothers, read Hebrews. Oh, I love this verse, 13.5. This is the Weiss translation. Ready, set, go. He Okay, let's read that again, and let's read it like the angel of Jehovah is reading it here. This is a triple negative in the Greek. It's a triple negative. It's the most strongest way to express absolutely not this is going to happen. Okay, let's read it again. Let's, a little stronger, brothers. Let's go. He himself has said, and the statement is on record. I will not. I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not. I will not. I will not let you go. Wow. I will not. That's the angel of Jehovah speaking to you tonight. I will not let you down. You're going to make it into Christ because of the angel, because of the angel of Jehovah. He will not. He will not. He will not. I mean, it sounds like a political rally. He will not. In 2015, he will not. Praise the Lord. We're going to make it into the full enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ because of the angel of Jehovah. The statement is on record. The Lord has gone on record here. The Lord has made it official. I'm signing the line. I'm going to do it. Trust in me. Believe in me. Rejoice in me. Praise me. Look away unto me. Amen. Okay. However, there is one thing we need to do. And that brings us to section three. So let's read section three all together. Ready, set, go. Our cooperation with Christ in possessing the promised land. Let's have the brothers on these two verses, Exodus and John. Ready, set, go. Be Okay, first thing we need to do to cooperate is to listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. So the Lord's leading us, and he leads us by speaking to us. <clears throat> so um, the Lord speaks from within us and from within his word. When he speaks, we need to learn to say, Amen. The Lord says, don't look at that. Brothers, what should we say? Amen. Amen. The Lord says, don't buy that, sisters. What should we say? And vice versa to both parties. The Lord says, don't say that. Yes, Lord, amen. I'm sorry if I did say that, Lord. Listen to his voice. The Lord's speaking is how he leads us into the enjoyment of Christ. So if we disregard his speaking, if we ignore his speaking, if we run through the red light of his speaking, guess what we won't find ourselves in? We won't find ourselves in that much enjoyment of Christ. So the Lord's speaking is very practical. 
don't say that, don't go there, don't do that, don't hang out with him, don't hang out that late with him. We need to say, amen, Lord. And if we listen to his voice, we will find ourselves increasing in our enjoyment of Christ. Okay, very practical. All right, sisters, let's read uh, these verses in uh, Exodus. Ready, set, go. Little by little, I will drive them out. This verse also shows our cooperation because it says at the beginning, circle, I will drive them out. I will drive them out. And then right below that, circle, you shall drive them out. So who's driving them out? We need to cooperate. We need to cooperate with the Lord's driving out. So it's a joint operation. And that's why these verses below it are very good, very classic. Philippians 2, 12, and 13, let's read that all together. Ready, set, go. Work out your own salvation. So underline work out your own salvation at the beginning. And then underline it is God who operates in you. And then underline the working. So who's doing the working? Paul says you work it out. And he says, because it's God who works it out. So we have to cooperate with God's operation. That's the key, cooperate with God's operation. And what we're cooperating and doing is driving out these seven tribes. Because when they got to the good land, the good land, uh, in a sense, was not for sale. Tribes were already living there. The land was occupied. And so they couldn't take possession of the land Without warfare, without spiritual warfare, we can't advance into the possession of Christ. Now, um, what the tribes signify for us today, the occupying peoples signify the different aspects of our natural life that frustrate us from enjoying Christ. Say that again, the different tribes in the land, and this is going to be on your reading, so um, don't worry, you're going to get more of it when you break up. The different tribes signify the different aspects of our natural life that prevent us, that resist us from enjoying Christ, that fight against us in the possession of Christ. And so it may be your lust, that's an aspect of the natural man, your lust prevents you from enjoying Christ. It may be your temper, your temper prevents you from enjoying more Christ. It may be your natural goodness, like Job. Job's integrity actually was a barrier to his enjoyment of Christ. So finally, in Job 42, when the Lord finally came down and revealed himself to him, he said, my eye has seen you. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye has seen you, and I abhor myself, the self that had stood in the way, the self that was a blockage. So this is going to be in the reading. I know it's maybe a new concept for some of you, but we ourselves are our biggest problem to our enjoyment of Christ. The fallen elements within our natural life are those pagan tribes that need to be driven out, and we need to do it in cooperation with Christ, but like Romans 8.13 is going to show us, we need to take the initiative by faith. So let's read Romans 8.13 all together, ready, set, go. If by the Spirit... So we need to take the initiative to put to death the practice of the body, but it's by the Spirit. But the point here is we need to take the initiative. Passivity in the Christian life is a killer. 
If we're passive in the Christian life, waiting for God to do it all, not taking the initiative, not setting our mind on the Spirit, not walking by the Spirit, not diving in the Word, not fellowshipping, then we will actually not have that much experience of Christ. Okay, so we've got the who. The who is the angel of Jehovah is Christ. The angel of Jehovah is Christ in his commission to lead us into Christ. The what is his serving us. He is serving us by leading us into the good land. The where is the good land, which is the all-inclusive Christ, and the how is by our cooperating with God's operation, listening to his voice, saying amen when he speaks, and taking the initiative with the Spirit to put to death the natural life. Okay, this is just an opener, so um, I know it's a deep topic. I know it's a topic maybe some of you haven't heard before. But right now we've got, oh, oh yeah, one more thing. Look on the back real quick. I want to show you this. I almost forgot the most encouraging part. This phrase, little by little, this phrase, little by little, is in Exodus 23, 30. So as much as we cooperate with Christ, we need to be assured that this process is little by little. So we're not going to read all these verses, but I'm a big believer in giving things away for free. This is my gift to you tonight. Ten verses plus one. Uh, concept verse that shows us the Christian life is little by little, it's day by day, it's from glory to glory, it's from grace to grace, it's from strength to strength, it's house to house, it's one by one, and I think I'm leaving one out, but anyways, praise the Lord, you get the point. So let's go ahead and break up right now in our little groups, and you've got a reading, the reading's on the back of the song sheet. Let's go ahead and do our reading on the back of the song sheet. Amen. Amen.